This podcast is brought to you by Bill Adams and Robert Anderson, the authors of a new book entitled Scaling Leadership, Building Organizational Capability and Capacity to Create Outcomes that Matter Most. Please listen to podcast number 706, where Greg and Bill discuss the key differences between what Bill refers to as creative versus reactive leadership, which makes up the system for developing effective leadership throughout an organization. This interview is a must-listen for any leader wanting to improve their leadership skills and to improve their relationship with their team members. If you want to learn more about scaling leadership, please listen to podcast number 706, as well as go to the book's website by visiting www.scalingleadership.com. Or you can take a free leadership self-assessment at www.leadershipcircle.com. Have fun learning a lot about becoming an effective leader by listening to Greg's interview with Bill Adams, the author of a new book entitled Scaling Leadership. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And as I do all the time, Kevin, and I know this gets to be probably annoying to some of my 200,000 plus listeners, I, I thank them. And the reason I thank them is because what would be the point of doing a podcast if you didn't have listeners? Also, listeners that actually respond with good questions and comments and seem to continue to like to hear the words of wisdom from the authors. And today joining us, and Kevin, where are you joining us from, actually? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay, beautiful. And um, Kevin Cruz is the author of a new book out. It's a Rodell book called Great Leaders Have No Rules. I love the uh, artwork on the front. Contrarian Leadership Principles to Transform Your Team and Your Business. Uh, Kevin is a New York Times bestselling author. And Kevin, I always like to let my readers and listeners know something about the authors because I think, I think it puts it some context throughout this. Um, Kevin is the founder and CEO of LeadX, and you can find it at leadx.org, the world's first conversational learning platform for leadership development, and the LeadX Academy, a free online educational platform and company that provides leadership training to people in 192 countries. He is the host of the LeadX Leadership Podcast, just like I'm doing here, which has exceeded over a million downloads. Kevin is also the New York Times bestseller author of six books, including 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management and Employee Engagement 2.0. His work has been featured in Forbes, Inc., Fast Company, and New York Times, and on Fox News. Uh, Kevin, it's a pleasure having you on. Uh, for all of my listeners who want to know more about Kevin, go to www.kevincruz.com. You can find him there. You can also go to leadx.org. And if you hang on to the end of this podcast, we're also going to give you some bonuses as well uh, that you can get from Kevin. So, Kevin, you know, in the foreword of the book, Travis Bradbury, the author of Emotional Intelligence 2.0, states that the Gallup research shows that a mind-boggling 70% of employees' motivation is influenced by his or her boss, and that 70% of employees consider themselves to be not engaged at work. What are some of the characteristics that you found over the years of doing the work, coaching people, coming into companies and doing strategic planning and all the things that you do, you found in great leaders and people that keep people inspired. 
Yeah, it, I'm glad you started there because uh, you know, leadership really is about uh, two things, getting stuff done and engaging and retaining our, our talent, our best people. And um, it was several years ago, I actually ran a study that I think is the biggest study ever done on this, 10 million workers in 150 countries, who's engaged, who's not, and why. And there were, I mean, a, about a dozen different drivers of engagement, but the big ones, almost all of it came down to growth recognition and trust. So we, we all want to be challenged at work. We want to be growing. We want to be learning new things. Uh, recognition, we want to feel appreciated by our boss, by our peers. And trust isn't just the, like, my boss isn't stealing from me or lying to me. It's not just about integrity. It's, a, it's more like, I trust that the leadership here has a plan for the future. I trust that the future is bright. So growth, recognition, and trust are really the top three drivers uh, that can that can help us to feel more engaged at work. And that's really succinct. And I love the way you said that, because I think growth, recognition and trust, when you look at those words very deeply, you'll find that, you know, all of us inside desires fulfillment and that brings fulfillment. Now, Kevin, you tell a great story about Steve Harvey's closed door policy to emphasize your closed door policy rule, because let's face it, this book is great leaders have no rules. And I actually, you know, at one point I laughed and then another point it was like, I didn't know that Steve Harvey could be such a, you know, when you have tough kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so granted, you know, you talk about how he flies from coast to coast and has these shows and everything, and he's got so much issues with time management. Can you tell the story? And why are you a contrarian when it comes to the rule that many of the others do in the book about this closed door policy? Yeah, well, it, that's right. And, and, you know, Steve Harvey was a couple years ago now that he wrote this memo to his staff that got leaked. And it was it was like in all capital letters and exclamation points, basically saying, leave him alone. Like, don't don't interrupt him in his in his dressing room. Don't bring problems to him. If you don't have an appointment, don't come up to him. And everybody in the press really was beating up on him, saying how like what a what a mean guy he was and how rude. And, you know, he's too too busy and too Hollywood to, to talk to his, his team members. And I say in the book that um, although. The way he communicated was maybe a little bit too much emotional honesty. He was clearly frustrated. He wasn't wrong. And the open door policy that most people take for granted, you kind of wonder where it came from to begin with because it's such a bad idea. Um, at the very least, it's just interrupting you know, the manager or the leader who's getting, who's, uh, getting uh, taken off of their deep work, their strategic work, their creative work. Um, but even worse, it's not great – for those who are supposedly coming through the open door because it's a passive communication policy. Um, there was research done that shows that 50%, half of all people never will go through an open door with a good idea, a problem, et cetera, because they don't, um, they, they don't think the benefit outweighs the risk. Like maybe I'm gonna look dumb with that question. Maybe I'm gonna interrupt my boss and, and she's gonna get mad at me. So this, idea of, oh, our doors are always open. We're facilitating communication. Half the people aren't going to take advantage of it. And then with the other half that do, um, Marshall Goldsmith, who we spoke about uh, uh, before we went on the air, you know, he's done a lot of writing saying, wait a minute, who are all these people coming through your door without an appointment? Did you hire the wrong people and they can't do their job? Did you not train them well? And, and it's a training problem. 
Or once again, do you not have a, a culture of psychological safety where they feel confident in making a decision, solving a problem, taking some action before they run it by you? So on all those uh, accounts, the open door policy is kind of a bad idea. Um, now, I don't say close it completely, but what I say is close your door and open your calendar. And so to be proactive and make sure you've got a good line of communication with each team member, well, that's just like a weekly one-on-one -on -one meeting. So that other half that would never come to you on their own, you're now alone eyeball to eyeball and, and finding out what's going on. And then the rest is just schedule office hours. And maybe, and that's when your door will be open and you're going to take pop-in meetings, as Steve Harvey called them, and, and it, to each their own. I mean, maybe uh, some of your listeners, they need you know, every afternoon to be their office hours. Others, it might be the last hour of the day. Um, still others, maybe it's just Fridays, and the other four days, you leave the person alone. But that's the idea. It's just time to kind of put aside the open-door policy and, and have some more proactive and scheduled items instead. Yeah, and, and I agree with uh, your contrarian uh, philosophy there. I think you do need that time to focus and you need that time to, you know, almost, you know, look, if you're going to stay creative and you're going to keep things on track, you need that. Yet on the other hand, if you work in an environment with a lot of creatives, sometimes you find that they will run in the office because they have a new idea they want to share. Um, and, and that can be challenging at times. Now, you cite a study done by USC regarding the inappropriate use of smartphones in meetings and the addiction to these devices. It isn't the first time that I've had this discussion with an author because, look, these uh, devices have gotten really addictive to the point where people are checking them 2,000 times a day, right? That's right. That's so right. what sound advice do you have for leaders and their associates and the use of these electronic um, devices in meetings, I mean, I would think your sound advice is turn them off, put them away, or leave them in your office before you come into the meeting. Yeah, absolutely. And it should start with meetings. You know, you mentioned that research study where uh, about, about three-fourths of executives say they think it is rude when people grab their phone in a meeting, whether it's to, to check a text or to send an email or even to take notes. Uh, the the perception is that is is that is rude, and I get some pushback from people saying, especially if they're younger, Silicon Valley type, saying, "Well, wait a minute, I'm just taking notes on my phone." That's what everybody does. Well, there was a study uh, that's called "The Pen Is Mightier Than the Keyboard," and that showed that even when it comes to note taking, for both comprehension and memory, you're better off writing it out on paper because your your brain has to kind of process it before it puts it on the paper. And people who type generally are just recording the words without really mentally processing them. And, and to your point, Greg, the, the real issue, and I'm glad more and more people are now aware of this, is you know, we're putting these interruption machines uh, in our hand, on our desk, or in our pocket. And uh, it's fascinating. Everybody realizes, look, if, it, if your phone buzzes and we respond like Pavlov's dog and pick it up to look, you know, that is interrupting, again, our deep work, our focus work, our mindfulness with the person on the other side of the dinner table or conference room table. Um, but they say even if the phone is just sitting there, your brain, uh, your cognitive processes are partly being stolen away just doing that. I'm not going to check the phone. I'm not going to check the phone. I'm not going to check the phone. So, look, these are powerful tools. 
But I say, make sure you use your phone. Don't let your phone or the people on the other side of it, all these brain hijackers that work at all these software companies, don't let them ring your bell and, and interrupt you. And again, to each their own. Like for me, you know, I, I'm running a software company. Uh, three times a day is plenty. You know, I can process emails and messages in the morning, roughly at, at noon, lunchtime, and then at the end of the day before I'm ready to, to quit for the day. Maybe if you're in sales and it's high paced and, you know, you've got to process it every hour or even every 30 minutes, that's fine. It's just put it away or turn it off or put it on airplane mode until you intentionally are ready to process what's on it. Yeah, it, it is addictive and we do have a huge problem and I don't happen to claim that I know the solution, but I would say during meetings, certainly during meetings, it's very rude. Uh, to be having those things go off and it notoriously happens or, you know, I even go into yoga classes four times a week and we'll have people's cell phones go off. It's like, and they even say at the front, you know, don't bring your cell phone into the yoga class, right. Or the meditation kind of, kind of crazy, but that's how addictive it is. Now you had this great story in the book about uh, somebody's inability to get reimbursed for the expense of post-it notes. And it popped out at me and how the incident with the CFO led to a discussion about rules. And this CFO, it isn't unlike CFOs to have lots of rules, right? But (laughs) this was the rule where, you know, um, you know, you got to have all your expenses. They got to be submitted. This guy couldn't get this done. I thought it was kind of a funny story, but you advocate have no rules. Why do you believe that that's a good idea? Because this guy was truly the big stickler, wasn't he? Well, yeah, that that story, uh, which was the genesis of the whole book, you know, happened um, to me 20 years ago. I had just sold my my business, and as part of the takeover, I was going in as a vice president, as a partner in the company. I reported to the CEO, and he gave me the big speech, you know, about oh, I'm not your boss. We're just partners. You know, we're we're equals. We'll build this company together. And it was 30 days later when I got that first expense check that I noticed it was short by about four dollars. And so I emailed CFO. I just thought maybe I filled out the form wrong. And he said, no, we deducted your post-it notes. Uh, You're not allowed to buy post-it notes and get them reimbursed. I said, why? He says, wasteful expense. And so all of a sudden, you know, how much of a a partner did I feel? How much of an equal to the CEO did I feel when I can't even get my post-it notes, you know, reimbursed? Every time we bump into a rule, it becomes your company, not my company. You know, it's someone else's organization. And so every time we bump in a rule, it takes away the opportunity to make a choice, to make a decision. And the funny thing is, you know, I went to the CEO and said, look, what is this ridiculous thing? And he had no idea that people were upset about this and, was, and were bummed out. And to his credit, he said, Kevin, you're right. Forget it. Everybody can buy post-it notes. I didn't mean for it to be a negative thing. But he said, let me explain where it came from. He said, one of our values is profitability. And that sounds like a funny value, Greg, but it was because, you know, he said, listen, the, the purpose of life is not to breathe, but you need to breathe in order to pursue your purpose. So it was an official value, profitability. And he said, I would walk around the office and people would be doodling little little designs on post-it notes. They'd be taking phone messages on post-it notes. And he says, you know what I use? And he points over, he's got scrap paper that he had, like from his printer, that he had torn twice to make these little squares. He says, these are free. He says, this didn't cost whatever post-it notes cost. Said post-it notes were a symbol of frugality. And so he explained this to me and everything changed. Even though he overturned the rule, 
I ended up staying there five years, long past my earnout and everything. And never once did I try to buy and reimburse the post-it notes because now it was a conversation that was rooted in values. It, it was a coaching conversation. And look, I, I wanted to be a good partner. I wanted to fit in. Um, once I understood the symbolism of the post-it notes, I, I happily said, oh, I get it. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to put those in. But that's the problem. Every time we bump into a rule, whether it's about dress code or expense policy or vacation days, it's someone else has made this decision this for us, and it's, it disempowers us. What's better, you know, the Netflix is a great example of this, where you, first you do have to hire great people, and you need to hold people accountable for results, but then it's almost total freedom. You know, they call it freedom and responsibility. And sure, people are going to mess up, and you need to have a feedback conversation or a coaching conversation. And if they keep messing up, you can coach them right out of your organization. But to come up with all these rules that make 97% of the people feel badly to protect against the 3% of knuckleheads, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it, I love the concept, though. And I think where your CEO made the mistake after he bought your company and you were working back for the company was communicating the concept behind it, right? Right. Um, and it's it's lack of clarity about what this is about. I don't think people would mind ever paying for post-it notes if they knew, you know, what, what was the purpose of this? And I, I think it was miscommunicated as well. Now, you you have a comment in the book. You said it's important to be likable, but not to be liked. That almost everyone, uh, that almost everything a boss does is opposite of what a friend does. And that leadership is defined by results, not attributes. What, in your opinion, should a leader do to be likable? Yeah, I think, you know, this has been my greatest uh, flaw and challenge as a leader. And I only recently felt a little bit better about it because both John Maxwell and Marshall Goldsmith have told me that this is also their, their first flaw when they were in their 20s and 30s, which is we were people pleasers. You know, we wanted to be everybody's friend. We wanted to be the, the nice boss, the popular boss. And, and it's okay. You know, we all, uh, all want to be liked. There's nothing wrong with that. That's kind of a, you know evolutionary thing to be part of the tribe. The problem is when it strays and we need everyone to like us because then, in my case, I would withhold feedback, you know, instead of telling Greg at the moment, like, hey, this is something you could have done better in that meeting, whether I verbalize or not, it's like, uh, I'll hold on to that feedback because I don't want him to get mad at me. I don't want to start a fight. I don't want him to think I'm a jerk. Um, and I would delay decision making because if I had 50 people reporting to me, I would want to make a decision that all 50 people thought was a good idea. And if five people didn't like a decision, I would hold it back until I could meet with them and try to persuade them. And of course, that means you're going to spend forever making the decision, and you'll never get everybody to agree with you. Tough decisions are tough because by default, there's not one easy, known, right answer. And so I think the issue is, you know, be likable. It's okay to socialize with, uh, with your direct reports. It's okay to, to spend a little bit of time with them or to go to lunch with them or to join that uh, the, the, the March Madness pool or whatever it is. It's okay to be likable, but don't care if you are actually liked, if you are actually popular. Realize that unlike a friend, you will have to give somebody a promotion and deny it to someone else. You will have to decide whether they get a 3% raise or a 5% or 10%. You will have to decide 
who gets the, the, the office with the window when there's two people with the same title and only one office with a window. So I think you need to realize the difference between, you know, they don't need a friend. They don't need another friend. They need a leader who's going to make them better and make the tough decisions quickly that will protect the, the success of the organization. Yeah. And in, and in so saying that, I think it also has a lot to do with our egos, right? So the reality, both the ego of the leader and the ego of the person who's either uh, receiving the promotion or the one who's been denied that promotion. Um, and it's, it's always good to keep those egos into control. That's now, right. you state that a leader should lead with love. You cited a couple of studies in the book about compassionate love at George Mason University and the Gallup study of 25 million employees. I always remember uh, Southwest Airlines and Herb Kelleher and the oh, whole yeah. concept with love. Can you inform the listeners about the astounding results of leading with compassion and love? And I think, you know, hey, look, we maybe know this, but love isn't a word that's really used in the workplace that much. It should be used every day. It should be encouraged by all leaders. There should be more compassion. I always tell people, hey, when you come to work, you don't leave spirit at home. You bring it with you. Um, But everybody thinks, well, I have to divide and leave spirit at home. Talk about love in the workplace. Yeah. And and it's, uh, I think we really should make an extra effort to talk about it because uh, with the very appropriate, you know, Me Too movement and extra sensitivity to you know personal space which is in the headlines a lot right now um i don't want people to feel like we all have to become you know unemotional robots at work uh the greeks had a word for it called agape uh, love which was like a love for humankind you know we're not talking about passionate you know intimate uh type love it's it's a it's the spiritual or religious love um the researchers that um uh you, you mentioned and, and others at Penn, you know, they call it companionate love. It's about affection, caring, compassion, tenderness. Gallup is legendary for their employee engagement work and their what they call the Q12, 12 questions that are the key drivers to engagement. And one of them is there is somebody at work that cares about me deeply and personally. So that is this companionate love idea again. And and for for those of you out there who are like, oh, it's just inappropriate, you know, or I'm a you know macho guy, we're a blue collar come, we can't do it. I mean, I know so many Marine Corps officers, Navy SEALs, I know football, NFL football players, and they, they use that word love uh, w- with their colleagues, you know, more than any others I've ever I've ever come across. And I think that um, where people get it wrong is like it you can express caring. And you do express caring in little ways, in little ways. Um, The executive coaches I know say that a common complaint among uh, team members, they'll say, oh, um, I've been working for Kevin for for 10 years, and never once on a Monday did he ever ask me how my weekend was. Or I've been working for Kevin for 10 years, and he doesn't even know the names of my kids. Little things like this. And in fact, it reminds me, Greg, you have this great quote in uh, in your email footer. Leo Buscaglia, too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential 
to turn a life around. And that really gets to it. it. You don't need some complicated management model or leadership philosophy. Even these small acts of caring go a long way. Yeah, it it is so true. And I've had a practice of, uh, I own a nonprofit that I founded called Compassionate Communications. And um, that was when my son got leukemia and I teamed up with Hallmark and we did a program uh, to reach out to people that were dealing with life-threatening illnesses. And I believe that actually healing can occur from a distance if people are sending enough uh, positive energy in their direction. Um, And it has been proven actually by Dr. Larry Dossey with studies. So, you know, don't discount this concept of love and compassion because it has an amazing effect to heal. The same as gratitude and forgiveness, right? So we need to really look at these things in the workplace. It doesn't help carrying a grudge, talk it out, you know? It doesn't help carrying a grudge at home or wherever because it just deepens the wound and it creates a lot of problems. Now, Let's move on to you advise to crowd your calendar. You state that great leaders are obsessed with time. Um, Why does it take and this obsession with time to be a great leader? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of the universal thing that uh, everybody's facing these days. I mean, we're supposed to be doing more with less, and we're all feeling overworked and overwhelmed. And, and and it is true. I mean, there is nothing more uh, valuable than time. I mean, time time is life, and you cannot make more time. You can always make more money. You can't make more time. And so, great leaders they realize that if they've wasted a minute, if if they've let someone you know got a minute steal one of their minutes away, well, that's a minute that they're not investing in their team members, that they're not coaching their team members, retaining their team members, or or getting the hard work uh, done. So. Great leaders are definitely obsessive about their minutes and the value of time. And as I, you know, I'm not a big sports guy, but over and over again, you come across Duke basketball coach K or the legendary John Wooden, where they talk about planning out their practices to the minute, planning out their, their seasons to the minute and hour, and then going back and looking at their notes at, you know, as they start one season, going back and looking, I mean, they're very obsessive about it. And so what the great leaders are doing is they're, they're basically not using a to-do list, which leaves to happenstance, you know, when and when you'll do things and for how long. They're putting everything on the calendar and then living from that calendar. And, and for those who say, well, geez, you know, like you got to have some downtime or you can't just crowd your calendar like that. You even schedule your downtime. Uh, LinkedIn CEO uh, Jeff Weiner wrote an article called The Importance of Scheduling Nothing. And he says every day he'll put three 30-minute time blocks of just nothing time where nobody's allowed to put things on his calendar. And that's his time for rest and recovery and mental development and deep thinking. And um, so when I say crowd your calendar, you want a crowded calendar, but it's crowded with the things that are most critical for your success, most, most important to you. Yeah, I love what you're saying here. And I think it um, comes to the fact I've done so many of these interviews and you talk to most people that are talking about leadership. Um, That is a bit contrarian, but yet I believe it's an important one. Um, And for my listeners, Kevin has uh, 10 
of these rules, right? And we've covered many of them, but I want to make sure we have enough time to get to this one. And this is when I sum up our interview with here, Kevin. You in the chapter titled Leadership is Not a Choice, you ask Ken Blanchard and John Maxwell, which by the way, are at your website, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, where people can go to get this bonus. Um, You asked them both, um, you said to them, was it was about influence, right? Right, right, right. And so how do the listeners listening to this podcast become better influencers of the people they're working with or the people around them? Yeah, I think I think everything changes when you realize, as as you know, Ken and John mentioned that boil it down. Leadership is influence, and if leadership is influence, then leadership's not a choice because we're influencing whether we want to or or not. You know, when you're in the boardroom and the CEO is putting up that crazy idea, you can speak out and take action against the idea, or you could be silent. Silence will be viewed as consent. You know, you've influenced the conversation, the decision making in another, uh, in an, into a whole whole other area. Um, and so, you have to be mindful that you are influencing. You know, you're walking down that hallway. Are you making eye contact, saying good morning, asking how the weekend was, or are you silent, thinking about your to do list? You're going to influence the engagement of that person, whether you want to be or not. So, I think the key is just to be mindful of it. And then to realize it's often like the Leo Buscaglia quote, it's often the little things at work that show people that you truly do care. You can do a lot of things wrong or have a lot of bad days or maybe even stress out and, and, and react badly sometimes. But if your main focus day to day is caring for your team members, that will come through and, and it covers for a whole lot of other things. Yeah, and it's so true. And this book is really got when you say the great leaders have no rules, and you give ten uh, particular bits of advice here. I think it's it's great advice for leaders. That's actually great advice for anybody. But the reality is, if you're a leader, this is something you need to take and pay attention to. Now, you have a website, and at this website, if people purchase the book. Um, they're going to get in excess of $250 in bonusship through the LeadX Leadership Academy, the five, the big five personality test, right on your own bestseller this year in just two hours per week. Uh, you looks like you got an application that can be downloaded. Tell them a little bit about that, what the bonus is for the order. Uh, you also have, if they order 10 books and they want to take these and put them throughout their company, um, they virtually get uh, $3,500 in bonuses. So um, you want to say a bit about that before we yeah. sum up the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. And the idea is you just buy one copy of the book, go to amazon.com or wherever you prefer to buy that copy. Then go to norulesleadership.com. There'll be a little button that says claim bonus and you fill out the form and you're going to get you know this 90 days of free access to this online learning uh, program. Uh, webinars. You're going to get three of my other books. I'll give you the eBooks and the audio books uh, and, and webinars. It's just really an incredible deal for the price of, of one book that I think you're going to love anyway. No, it really is. I mean, I'm looking at the offer here to my listening audience and I'm saying, Kevin has really put together something quite substantial. As a matter of fact, it goes all the way up to if you buy a 10,000 books, right? <laughs> and you're you're talking about having uh, $2,775,000 in bonuses. Um, 
you know, look, there's always that probability, Kevin, that someone out there listening is going to buy 100,000 copies of your book. The reality <laughs> is, is that whether it's the book or it's not, or it's 100 copies or 10 copies, it doesn't matter. If you just buy one copy, uh, you're going to get $250 uh, bonuses here. Uh, please do so. Go to the website. We are going to have a link to Kevin's website. Um, and for those of you listening, as Kevin said, just use my link on the blog and the podcast or go to and give it to him again, Kevin. Yeah, norulesleadership.com. Norulesleadership.com. So we will put that out there in our blog entry as well. Kevin, it's a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and spending a few minutes with me uh, discussing your new book called Great Leaders Have No Rules, Contrarian Leadership Principles to Transform Your Team and Business. Thanks again, Kevin. Thanks, Greg. This podcast is brought to you by Todd Rose, the author of a new book entitled The End of Average, How We Succeed in a World That Values Sameness. Please listen to podcast number 703 where Greg and Todd have a lively discussion about how our society has embraced standardization. Yet, people are individuals, and if you are going to inspire the best in people, and you want them to reach their human potential, you need to respect and allow them to embrace their individuality. Todd has connected a lot of research about our flawed systems, and proves to the reader that there is a better way. Please listen to podcast number 703 with author Todd Rose about his new book entitled The End of Average. If you want to learn more about Todd, his new book, his talks, or his projects at Harvard, please visit www.toddrose.com. We hope you enjoy this interview with author Todd Rose about his new book, The End of Average. Thanks for listening.